Morning. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks. That's good. Morning. I know the uh, coffee was late today, so we might have some more people out there. But good morning. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Glad to see you. Glad you're here. Moy, if my sweater is what's causing this, I can take it off. We sound checked without my sweater on, but it was way too cold in here. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. It's good to be back in church. Uh, last week, Bridgie preached for us, and so I had a week off, and um, I just uh, am glad to be back. Also, want to start off with one point really quick. There's been a lot of hate lately. For those who have been here for a while, oh, look at that. Oh, that's really interesting. Let's, there's been a lot of hate lately on Brazil, Brazilian soccer to be specific, and I just thought we might want to have a little math lesson real quick. One, two, three. Oh, wow. That's just a lot right there. That's interesting. Oh, sure, whatever. Oh, that's just really interesting. But we really don't have time for this. Uh, we just, there's been a lot of vocal opposition lately, and we just have to talk about it every once in a while. We are still the best. Uh, today, we are starting a new sermon series called Presence, uh, and it's on prayer. It's called Presence, Praying Face-to-Face. -face. Uh, and we're starting this journey for the next handful of weeks, uh, building an ethic around prayer, a better picture of what prayer is, a clearer picture of what it may not be, and um, to really have it be a part of the life of our church, to be a people that pray. Uh, and I, I want to start off with a story that I was taught, I was shared with, I heard from one of my mentors. He was one day on his way to a place in Queens. He's a pastor. He was in a rush. He was running late. And the whole time he was on his way, he was praying, Lord, give me a spot. I need a parking spot. Give me a parking spot near the building. I'm going to be late. I hate being late. Give me a parking spot. And he pulls up to the street, and he pulls up to the block, and he sees magically a car pull out right in front of the building. And as soon as he does, he says, oh, no, never mind, thanks. Never mind, God, I got one. Thank you, I found one. And uh, I share this story because I feel like it resembles what I think most of us, me included, uh, our prayer is like. We run to God in a moment of desperate need, and then usually when we get that thing or we don't get that thing, we're like, oh, never mind, God, I got this. I, I made it happen. Thanks, God. Like, uh, thanks for, I prayed for you, but I, I got my own spot. I found my own spot, not recognizing that, uh, hey, maybe even as simple as a parking spot, God made a way for him. And so prayer is this thing, a big thing. It's this like thing that encompasses our whole life and our whole journey with the Lord can just be this one giant like prayer, ongoing prayer. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, right? Prayer is this, to me, I say this often about a few things, but it's like this jewel of the Christian life that... Uh, many of us don't find. And so we don't want that to be the case here. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're also going to be building uh, this ethic, right? We're going to be building a better picture of what prayer is. 
And so you don't build a good ethic by always speaking in the negative. You don't build an ethic of something by mentioning what something is not. Uh, but for this one moment in the sermon series, I do want to mention a couple of things that prayer is not. And then we're going to sw switch to only talking about building, not saying what something is not like. And so prayer is not just an activity. Prayer is not just something that you do when you go to that one chair that you pray in. Prayer is not just an activity. It's your whole life. It can be your whole life. It can encompass everything that you do. Prayer is so much bigger than just an activity. Prayer is definitely never a transaction. Prayer is never just, hey, Lord, here's my laundry list. Give me what I want. Prayer is not just a, hey, Lord, I'll do this if you do this. Prayer is not a transaction. God is not a vending machine. That's not how prayer works. Prayer is not just a duty, right? For some of us, we have so much shame and so much pressure and so much guilt wrapped around not praying, but prayer is not just a duty. There are seasons in life where you have to tie yourself to prayer, and it will feel like a duty, but prayer is not just the duty. It is the joy of our souls, the joy of our lives to be face-to-face -face with this huge God, with the Elohim of Elohims, the creator God who created everything. It is not just a duty. It is the joy of our lives. It is the best thing that you can ever fill your days with is prayer. Prayer is not always just a monologue. How many of us only speak and speak and speak and talk and talk and talk? Prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a conversation. It's communion. It's falling in love. It's all of these things. It's listening. Prayer is so much more than just a monologue. Prayer is in a grocery list, and it's also never a formula. We will not preach at City Life, this is the formula that you need to say to get this thing or that thing. Prayer is never a formula. It's not a grocery store list. Instead, okay, so now we'll, we'll leave the negative zone. We're not building an ethic on saying what prayer is not like. Let's start building what prayer is. The most fundamental, foundational thing that the Bible teaches us about prayer is that it's presence. Prayer is presence with our holy God, with the creator of everything, with the maker and lover of your soul, prayer is presence. Uh, if you're here for a while, you know that I love the Hebrew. I love the Hebrew Bible. The Old Testament Bible is so incredible. God had his fingerprints all over the Hebrew language and their culture, teaching all of us, everyone, for the rest of time of what he's like and what he does and one of the like, most theologically rich words in the Old Testament is this word called panim. Can you say panim with me? Panim. Panim is how we usually, actually gets translated into a lot of different words in the English, but it is the word that is most likely translated into presence. And what it literally means, panim means face. Every Hebrew word has a, a literal root. And panim, presence, means face. Because you can never have true presence with somebody without being face-to-face. -face, right? How many of us, me, I avoid Zoom meetings like it's the plague now because they're just, oh, I hate them so much. Uh, but I want to be face-to-face -face with people. I want to have real presence with people. Panim means presence. 
It's this living out. It's getting this foretaste of what the Lord is like, what eternity will be like. It's having this experience with the living God. Somehow us, dirt creatures, can go and have presence with this uncaused, causing, creating, cosmic, universal God. It's incredible that we, dirt creatures, animals from the dirt, can walk into God's presence and are invited to do so. Prayer is also one of the most foundational ways to live out covenant, of being his covenantal people, is that we can draw close to him because he has made a way for that to happen. And so over the course of this sermon series, we're going to have this main idea. This is what prayer is. This is the definition that we're building and living out here at the church. Uh, We can put it on the screen. It's not perfect, and it's not done yet. But prayer is an action that moves you towards God's presence, permission, and ultimately experience of eternal life. Uh, Prayer is an action that moves you towards God's presence, permission, and ultimately an experience of eternal life. Prayer is action in that it's not a passive act. It's not something that you trip into and then you start praying. Prayer is something that is walked into, and also prayer involves movement, right? Uh, One of the things that we might get to at this sermon series is the Lord's Prayer starts off At the first half of it, it's all about God and your kingdom come, your will be done, hallowed be your name, and it ends in the communal we, an hour, and it's moving us to him. Prayer is about movement, about not being where we're at, and about not staying the same. It's about change and movement. God, come into my life. If I'm even just around you, I'm different. So prayer is about movement. It's about action. Prayer is not passive. It's heavy, and it's a big work. Prayer is about presence, like we've been saying, being face-to-face and having intimacy with the God who somehow seems so big and too big for us, but he's made a way for us to reach his presence. He's made a way for my sins to not keep me away from him anymore. He made a way for my imperfection to not kill me in the spot when I reach out to him. He's made a way for that to happen. Uh, David Benner wrote a great book. Also, if you want resources, Anne and I, we have plenty of resources. We'll make it public too. But uh, David Benner, he wrote a book called Opening to God, and he talks about how prayer is a conversation, it's communion, it's being in love. Prayer is all of those things, falling madly in love, having a deep conversation with the one that you love, having communion, intimacy, privacy, All of these special things that you only share with the most special of people. Prayer is all of these things. Prayer is stepping into God's presence. It's like big. It's awesome. And it can consume every moment of your life. Prayer is also about permission. Permission because we all have a decision to step into and participate in what he's doing. And we also have the decision to not do that. Plenty of Christians spend their whole lives not giving God permission to enter into this amount of intimacy. But to me, that's one of the saddest realities of the Christian walk. Prayer is a decision to consenting to what God is doing in our souls and in our lives and in our environments, even in our bodies, is to let him and partner in with the work that he's doing. 
over the whole scape of our lives. And so I, I don't want to come off too aggressive here, but like I, I want to say this out of from, the, from week one, is that if you're a believer, if you're here and you follow Jesus and you are, call yourself a dedicated follower of Jesus, uh, that's great. Uh, but let me just remind us that if you are not praying, it's because you've decided not to. Prayer is always a decision. It's something that's decided into. There is no life that is too busy to not have prayer soak and consume and model it all. Uh, John Piper has a, a famous uh, pastor in Minnesota. He has this famous tweet about how social media is this like evidence that none of us don't pray because of a lack of time, right? Prayer like, is a decision and an activity that's stepped into. But prayer is also eternal life. Uh, one of the things that I want to mark the foundation of the sermon series is John 17, 3. In this passage, Jesus is praying. He is praying himself, and he says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Right? It, it, all of eternity is presence with the Lord. And so we can have that glimpse, that peace, that little corner of eternity is soaked in our whole lives right now because we are seeking presence with him. We are seeking to know him and to be with him and to experience him now because now we live in the time where his kingdom is here but not in its fullness. And so we can get glimpses and tastes and echoes of eternity and his power and his voice in our lives right now. And prayer is the primary work of his believers and prayer is this awesome and mighty and big and normal and average thing. It's all of those things all wrapped in one. And uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to come here for this whole sermon series, and I'm going to leave really frustrated because there are always a million billion things to say about prayer. There's so many things on my heart that I want to say about prayer, and we only have five weeks or something like that. And man, like, oh, we could spend the rest of the year easily on prayer, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm just convinced that I'm going to leave frustrated every Sunday from now until the end of the series, because I just want to say more, but first, I, I view today as like the first little domino in this whole big maze of dominoes. Prayer is about presence. Prayer is about removing my soul from where it is to bring it to him, no matter where I'm at and what I'm facing, that I get to meet God. And so today, to start that, to hit that first little domino, we're going to look at the most important ingredient to prayer. We're not going to be in the sermon series preaching uh, formulas. We're not going to be preaching uh, the mode. We're, today, we're not even really caring about the response to prayer in our story today, but we're looking at the most important ingredient, which is our hearts, which is ourselves, and which is our honesty. And so we're going to read uh, from 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read Hannah's story. It's going to be on the screen, so you can follow here. And I got inspired by Bridgie last week. She read a lot of verses. Today we're going to read a lot of verses again, 20 to be exact. So if you could stand for the reading of God's word and follow along with me. Um, this is 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1 to 20. God's word says this. It says, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, interesting, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, 
son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb, closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple and of the, of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you indeed will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued to pray before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Let the woman, uh, sorry, then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You can stop there. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for everyone here. Uh, first, Lord, we, you're invited to be here, Holy Spirit. We need you here with us to speak to us, to teach us, to encounter us, to reveal yourself to us. Lord, um, do what only you can do. We meet here to experience you, to hear you, uh, to fall deeper into you. And so you're welcome in this place. And uh, we worship you. And so I pray all this in Jesus' name. Feel free to take a seat. All right. So, first, let's talk about Hannah's story really quick. Uh, I always, I love looking and thinking and talking about God's story as a narrative, but I don't want the narrative speaking to, like, take away that these were real people, right, doing real things, having real experiences, like real people with real problems, who we get the privilege of, like, God kept his story and tells it to us 
all the time. And so I don't want to cheapen that this was real, but let's look at Hannah's story real quick. Let's look at her context. Uh, we're introduced to a husband who, by all accounts, seems like a pretty good person. Uh, I, well, none of us are good person, right, theologically speaking. But he does what he's supposed to do. He lives this appropriate life with the Lord. He goes and sacrifices this in the history of Israel is before the capital was even in Jerusalem. Israel is still a baby nation. Uh, the worshiping here was done in the Lord's temple, but it was like a tent. And so it's still early days in God's story. He's still building his people. He's still building his story. He's still gaining momentum. And so um, he goes, Elkanah, this man, his name is actually really interesting too. It has a lot of possible meanings it could mean he created, talking about God, it could be his love or his passion. It's really interesting, but it's like this really God-focused name. And this guy, Elkanah, has two wives. One, her name was Hannah, and she was clearly his favorite. He loved her. And the other one, her name was Peninnah, which means coral or jewel, like the like coral, like the gem, like the coral reefs, like the, that thing. Uh, oh, but it could also mean jewel, like a precious jewel. And she had many, many sons and daughters, it says. And we are given the problem of the story right in verse 2. It says that Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Right? This is the great conflict in the story, is that Hannah had no children, but Peninnah had children up to here. And it caused a lot of conflict between them. And the story doesn't even just end there. It doesn't just stop there with her problem being not having children. It says she has two big problems and obstacles in her life right now, too. Number one is Peninnah, who always irritated her. Like, you know that if you have somebody in your life who does this to you, or maybe if you're an older sibling, you did this to one of your younger siblings, most likely. It's like you have the one thing that they want the most, and so you are going to let them know that you have it kind of like Brazil's five World Cups and no one else having that many, right? Uh, but it's like this one thing, and you just hold it over somebody, and you irritate them, and you irritate them. The, what's happening here is to a much more abusive degree, but that is what's happening. She knew she had children, and she made Hannah's life terrible and horrible. She <laughs> was horrible. But the other problem, the bigger problem, the deeper problem, the problem that for us is uh, like when it happens to us, if it happens to us, is huge and we often cannot get over it, is that one of her problems seems to also be the Lord. Twice in the story it says that she could not have children because the Lord closed her womb. Right? Verse 5 and verse 6. But, Hannah, uh, he gave, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, her rival, Peninnah, Jewel, uh, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Right? And so her problem was not just her rival. Right? At some point in the story, it doesn't even call Peninnah by her name. It just addresses her as her rival. And then the Lord also, seemingly from our perspective, he's her problem too. He closed her womb. She can't have children, and Scripture is blaming the Lord. And so there's a lot of questions for us to answer around here, a lot of ethical questions around, do we let God do things like this in our lives? If prayer is presence, and when we feel like God is the one keeping what we want most away from us, what do we do? What do you do in your life when the one thing that you want, more than anything, 
the main obstacle seems to be God himself. What do you do with your presence? Do you stop going to him? Do you stop asking him? Do you stop seeking panim with him, face-to-face presence? Do you stop praying to him? Or do you continue because you know that's the good Christian thing to do, but you fake it? Or you only complain? Or you're only angry? Or you just fake it? You put on a smile. You say things like, Lord, if it's your will, but you know your heart does not agree with that at all. Like, what do you do when it seems like God is the problem in the equation? What do you do with your presence? What do you do with your heart? Do you keep it from him? Do you use it as a weapon against him? Do you try and manipulate him? Do you just stop going to him altogether? You believe in him, sure, or you leave entirely. Or if you stay, like, do you just like give him lip service? Or you say you show up, but you know your heart is a million miles away. What do we do when we feel like God is the problem in the equation? Like she could have even probably dealt with Penina. She did for years. But what happens when the Lord is the one who closes the womb, who gives, doesn't give us the one thing that we want? And so consider questions like this when we are talking about prayer. Do you know if you're honest with the Lord or not? Have you stopped even showing up to speak to him or to hear from him? And so, Hannah's problem is this. Number one, God. God, you know the one thing that I want. Why don't you give it to me? Her rival, Penina, making her life horrible, horrible all the time. And verse 7 says something that I think we read over all the time and don't let it, like, really affect us. Verse 7 says, so it went on year by year. Year after year after year after year of Hannah going to God with this one thing. Year after year after year. Don't look over that. She carried with this for years. How many things do we carry for years? How many things do we honestly go to him after for years? Year after year. Asking for the one thing with our whole hearts. How many of us have had things like that? Because I'm willing to bet there are at least a few of us in here who for years carry something in our hearts and never let it go. Because we treated God like he was actually real. Like he was actually who he said he is. Like he could actually do something about it. So year after year, Hannah went after it. And so let's talk about uh, Hannah's troubles. Uh, I have this theory in scripture that I think the most impressive people in all of scripture are not the big giants like Abraham and Moses and the disciples. And like, I don't think that they are the true heroes of the story. I think that, well, obviously Jesus is the hero of the story. Um, but in terms of people, to me, I am much more fascinated by the people who, as quickly as they show up, they leave the story because they were the faithful ones that just showed up and did whatever God told them to do and then left out. Right, Hannah, here, Hannah, she does not have a lot of the story. She comes in really quickly, and she is this giant that I think is overlooked in Scripture. 
To me, she is much more impressive than even Abraham. There's a lot of theology around how Hannah is the better Abraham. We'll talk about that in a second if we get to it. Yeah, yeah it's cool. Should. Okay, we're probably not going to get to it. Uh, Hannah's trouble. <laughs> She's going to God year after year after year, trying to get this one thing from the Lord. And the one thing that I don't want us to overlook is all of the emotive words that surround Hannah. It says that she prayed, uh, verse, uh, she, verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed, and the Lord went bitterly. This is after years and years of doing this, years and years of still putting her entire heart, pursuing this one thing, pursuing panim, presence with the Lord. And she did not ever stop. She kept on going. She kept on praying to the Lord. And then it says in verse 11 that she vowed a vow, which is super cool. Super impressive. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with what a vow is, um, when we talk about prayer ministry later on in the road, we're going to talk about vows because they're actually quite important and usually quite destructive. A vow is a promise, but it comes with conditions and it ties you to something. And so the vows are actually really uh, important and potentially dangerous in our lives. A part of maturing in prayer is realizing what vows we have made, but we're going to get to that later on. Uh, not today, but she vows this vow. She says in verse 11, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, uh, but I will, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. The razor part is this Nazarene vow. He's not going to drink any alcohol and he'll never cut his hair just like Samson, uh, one of the judges. But she decides to give him to the Lord. So he says, Lord, if you give me this child, that this son that I've been waiting for and asking for for so long, I will give him to you. And to me, like, I think about this sometimes. I'm like, man, this like, is so funny and counterintuitive because you just want this son, and then you're saying, I'll have this son, and I'll give him right away. She won't even like, live with him or enjoy him. To me, like, to me, that's where my head goes because I am not as great as Hannah is. But man, she prays this, and she models to us that at times prayer is a decision. Before God ever moves, at times prayer is a decision. She had her mind made up. She was still wanting this son with all of her heart, and she had already decided, Lord, if you give him to me, he's, he's yours. Right? Sometimes prayer is this decision. Know what, we'll what we will say yes to before it ever even happens. Prayer is a decision. And look at all the emotive words around this. Verse 12 says that she was praying before the Lord. Verse 13, I'm going to go fast so you might not keep up. Uh, verse 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart. Verse 15, she says to Eli, I am a woman troubled in spirit. And then she says, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And then uh, later on she says, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Hannah never stopped pouring her whole self into her prayers into her pursuit of presence with the Lord. Year after year of not getting what she wanted, of being made fun of, of all of these things, of God being in her way, she still gave God her whole honest heart, her whole being, and she would even, she said, I'll give you the one thing that I want, Lord, it's yours. And so, if prayer is about presence... And we all know that presence really can't be faked, especially with a holy God. I want us to think about Hannah 
and say, are we still showing up? Do we still show up with our whole hearts? Are we playing a game when we pray to the Lord? Have we completely stopped going to him altogether? Is life too busy for us to give our creator God, our holy one, time? If you're here and if you are new to faith or exploring faith and have never heard, or if you're a believer and have just never heard about what prayer can be, then let me just say to you, it is the joy of your life. It is the thing your soul was made for, to be in the same place as the Lord. Prayer is presence, and it is the best thing that you can ever do in every moment and in every season of your life is to pour your whole honest heart out to the Lord without faking it or playing games or getting too busy to do so. And so I'm pretty sure I'm way too late. Worship team can come up. Um, Hannah, in this story, her response is that she gets what she had been praying for forever. For years, she gets what she has been praying for. But to me, that is not so much what the impressive thing about this is, is that she always gave God her honesty, her whole heart, and her all of her desire. She went to him. She treated him like he was real. He, she treated him like he could do what she was asking. She actually showed up all the time to meet him. And then at the end of Hannah's story, it says the perfect couple of words, in due time, what she asked for happened. At the right moment, at the moment God had ordained, at the moment God knew was best, at the moment God showed up and remembered his daughter, she had her baby. It says here that she went and she uh, knew was known by her husband, and the Lord remembered her, and she had the child that she always wanted. And she named him Samuel, which also has a lot of really interesting and cool different translations and definitions. Uh, but the one I love the most is that it is uh, Shema El, which means God heard me. And so Hannah is this like giant example for all of God's people to say that God does not forget his people, that if we show up, and if we come after him and we are honest with him and we turn to him in prayer in every season and at every obstacle, even when we feel like he's the problem, he remembers. And he's the one who is able to do what he deems fit at all the right times, in the due moment for everything in your life. And so we started with our working definition of prayer. And it said that prayer is an action that moves you towards God's presence permission, and ultimately an experience of eternal life. And to add to it today, we're going to say that it needs to be done with all of your heart and being. That's what prayer is. It is an honest act, perhaps the most honest act you will ever do in this life. But God is the one who remembers and who hears all of it and who is just and faithful to answer in the due moments in the due time. And so let's worship this God who sees everything, hears everything, and at the perfect moment responds our honesty with his beautiful presence.
So let's worship him. Let's stand up together. This is a new song, but I want us to just close your eyes if you need to, but the presence of the Lord is here. We thank God that we don't have to conjure up any anything. There's no ritual. There's no nothing. God is here. And so we praise God. The song says that we ask the Lord to reveal himself. And it's not like he's hiding or anything. It's just that we want him to take the scales off of our eyes and see him for who he is. Um, and also in the bridge it says, we don't seek your hand. We don't we don't look to God for what he can do for us, but we seek your face for who he is, and that's who we want to know. So you can spend this time just sitting, basking in his presence, praying, being honest with your prayer life, and just a return to him. And sing when you feel the need to. Spirit of the sovereign Lord, make your presence known, reveal the glory of the living God. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come and make your presence known, reveal the glory of Let the weight of your glory cover us. Let the life of your river flow. Let the truth of your kingdom reign in us. Let the weight of your glory. Let the weight of your glory fall. Let's do that from the top. Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come and make your presence known, reveal the glory of the
was reminded through the sermons that when we are present in prayer we're not present alone and I think we know that right but let's remind ourselves that God is present there our Lord Savior is present there with us in prayer and in that moment we are met by the fullness of him like the fullness of his glory we are met by his truth his forgiveness his love his grace his mercy and everything that he is, his sovereignty, his omnipotence. And he knows. And in that moment, we can release all things on him. And I always remind myself of that, that everything that we carry through life, it's like we're bombarded by all these things. But in prayer, we release them on him who can handle those things. So let's thank him for that. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, because you are present when we pray. We're not just praying into the air or into the nothing, Lord, but you're present there with us in that moment and you're listening. You want us to tell you all the things that are burdening us or the things that we're happy about. You want to hear every thought, Lord, because you love us that way and you care. So we thank you that we can rely on that. Lord, we ask you for the Holy Spirit 
to move us to be more present with you and to move us into those quiet moments uh, in which we can hear your voice, Lord. Thank you for this family of, of you, of Christ, that we have here, that we can share these moments together and we can pray with each other and share those moments in your presence. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. Have a good Sunday. See you next Sunday.